Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. I'm so excited for us to finally dive into the book of Ephesians. My goal in this first message is to help orient us to the lay of the land that Paul's going to walk us through from chapters one to six. It's an incredible journey that Paul takes us on as he walks us through the heavenly realms. He walks us into the nitty gritty of marriage and family life. And the way that he does that is he uses this lens. He frames everything through this idea or this word mystery. And I want to talk to you about that. But first, my favorite mystery adventure when I was a kid was the movie Goonies made around 1985. I love this story about a group of kids who find this old dusty treasure map hidden in the attic. And this map opens to them this hidden world beneath the streets of their everyday lives. It takes them on this adventure into this labyrinth of hidden tunnels where they have to dodge crazy criminals and pursuit and in search of this hidden treasure that they end up finding on this old pirate ship hidden in this massive cave. It's an amazing story. If you haven't seen it, I totally recommend it. It's such a fun movie. But what I love about it is this idea of mystery. The idea that we're drawn to want to peek behind the curtain and see behind the veil of what's really going on beneath the veil of our ordinary lives. And Paul knows that. And so he frames his whole letter through this idea of mystery. The word, the Greek word mysterion is woven intricately throughout all six chapters. It appears seven times in the book of Ephesians. This is one of the things that makes Ephesians really unique. In fact, the book of Ephesians has this word mysterion more than any other book in the New Testament. And in the entire Bible, it is second only to Daniel. So it's like a unique characteristic of this book. And it should cause us to stop and kind of wonder and go, whoa, what is Paul trying to do by using this word? What kind of perspective is he trying to give us with this word? In chapters one, three, five, and six, Paul uses the word mysterion. He uses it to describe the mystery of God's will, the mystery that had been hidden for ages, but has now been made known. The mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, and the mystery of grace, the mystery of marriage. He actually calls it a profound mystery. And what it has to reveal to us about the relationship of Jesus to the church And then chapter 6, 19, the mystery that he's been entrusted with to proclaim to the world. So why does he use this? And how does this idea of mystery help us enter into Paul's book? Well, C.S. Lewis has this great statement about mystery. Okay. He says, every fresh discovery far from dissipating deepens the mystery. Think about that. Now he's talking about our discoveries in the natural world. He's talking about what's been happening as we've journeyed to discover what's behind the earth's atmosphere, what is behind the veil of this human cell and even the atomic structure. As we've searched up into the heavens, past the earth's atmosphere, into the, into the solar system and the galaxies, all we find is one mystery after another. The more we understand, he's saying, the more we realize we don't understand. The more we discover, the more we realize there is to discover no matter how far up we go or how far in we go, there's just this ever cascading depth of increasing wonder revealed to us. And he's saying that actually reflects something about God. And he's saying it's a lot like that as we grow in relationship with God. He makes this point that the more God shows us about himself, 
the more mystery we discover. There's a mystery about God, you know, like we know him, but we never stop getting to know him better and better. And I love the posture that that puts us in as we come into the book of Ephesians. That's why Paul prays in chapter one, verse 17, he prays, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He's talking to Christians who already know Jesus. But what he's saying is, look, take everything you know up to now. And he's saying, you've only begun to scratch the surface. And he's calling us into this place of wonder and worship. And then he goes on to pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I love this because Paul wants to fan the flame of wonder in us and stir up a spirit of worship as we learn more and more about who Jesus is. And so he wants to bring us and shake us out of this place of familiarity. Cause maybe you're here going, man, I've read the book of Ephesians. You know, maybe you're sitting there, you're in high school, you're in junior high and you feel like, you know what? I've heard it all. What is Ryan going to say right now? He didn't tell me that Jesus died on the cross for me. Is he going to talk about Jesus rising? I know these things, but we really don't know everything about these things, not only in our heads, but even in our hearts and in experience. And Paul's saying, there's so much more to understand so much more that God wants to reveal to you. And my hope is as we go through this book of Ephesians, It'll continue to unlock, not just more about God to you, but your own heart and unlock deeper, deeper wellsprings of worship and praise in response to everything that Paul's about to reveal to us. In AD 62, Ephesus was infested with these mystery cult religions, not just Ephesus, but the whole Asian area that Ephesus was in. And so when Paul talks about mystery, he's also right using a word that is really kind of like a buzzword that was going on in that period. And in that particular area, these mystery cults were luring people into their membership by promising, you know, to reveal things in that nobody else could know. Kind of like the idea was, Hey, if you join us, we're going to tell you things that nobody else knows and you'll be on the inside and know things. And that's going to give you a sense of pride an arrogance, a sense of superiority, you're going to be on the inside. And that kind of works with human beings because there's a part of us that wants to know what is really going on behind the scenes of life. We all get this feeling that there's more to life than what we can see with our eyes. You're right. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're laying in bed at night and you're laying there and you just get that itch, that yearning, Maybe when you achieve something you've sought after your whole life, you get to that summit and it's amazing, but you begin to wonder, gosh, is there more to life than this? So what's next? Is there something more? It's that desire to uncover that more that Paul's tapping into that mystery cults would tap into to lure people into their false religions, these new age kind of groups that Paul wants to use to lure, to draw us in, to the truth of Jesus. And so he says, Hey, if you really want a mystery, if you really want to be in on what's going on in the world, then let me explain to you the mysterion of Christ. And that's what we're stepping into right now. Okay. So mystery is a great word for us today because it prepares us for where Paul wants to take us. Number one, he's going to take us back in before creation, before time, where it's just God and eternity and his love for you. 
He wants to take us beyond the veil into the heavenly realms where spiritual forces of evil lie in wait. He wants to take us into the deep hidden truth about who you really are and why you're here. And he wants to take us forward into the mystery of our once hidden, but now revealed destiny. What does it really mean to succeed in life? You're on this earth and what has God really created you to be and to do? Paul wants to open the treasure chest to that mystery so that you can live from the deep truth of God in your life. So I want to just launch us on this journey into Ephesians um, by focusing on one particular mystery in chapter one that he introduces us to, because this particular mystery is going to run the thread like a thread through the entire book of Ephesians. And that is what he calls the mystery of God's will. But before I do that, let me pray for us. God, open our hearts to what you want to reveal to us throughout the next 12 weeks. You want to unpack for us your wisdom. You want to draw us into a deeper, intimate love relationship with you. You want to reveal the depth of your love that is beyond human comprehension. You want to... Fill us with the incomparable power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You want to bring that love and power into our marriages, into our relationship with our teammates, into the tough decisions that we're trying to make about our future, about our relationships. And so Jesus, we pray, open our hearts to everything you want to give to us. This powerful book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to just read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. It says this, With all wisdom and understanding, he, being God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Now, right here, I want to pause before he goes on to tell you what that will actually is. Now, I want to unpack what we can learn um, from what he said right now before we even get to the way he explains the will of God. Number one, we learned that God alone makes his mysteries known. It says he, in verse nine, that he made known to us the mystery of his will. God is the one alone who can make these things known. We can't understand these things just by the power of our own intellect. The most powerful telescope or electron microscope can't pierce the mysteries of God's wisdom and knowledge and will. But thank God, the next point is that he did this according to his good pleasure. And I love this because the second point is that God is excited to reveal his will to you. Sometimes it feels like God's will is a really daunting thing. It feels like this inscrutable, unknowable thing that we could never really comprehend. And yet God is really excited and takes joy and delight in revealing his heart to you. And that's because as Paul writes in in the very beginning of chapter one, you are chosen, you are his adopted, you are his loved, you are his privileged and predestined son and daughter. And it says right here in Jeremiah 33, three, he says, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and mysterious things that you do not know. God loves to reveal the secrets of his heart to you. Number three, God has the plan, but it's Jesus who executes the plan. It says right here, which he purposed in Christ. What do we learn about God's will here? God makes the plan. 
right? So God has the great comes up with what the plan is going to be. Jesus is the one who executes the plan and it's the Holy spirit. We'll find out who applies that plan to our life. And Jesus accomplished and executed the will of God through his death and through his resurrection. Okay. And then lastly, we learned that it was hidden until just the right time. I love this one. This is so important because we, before we know what God's will is, we need to understand there's a timing to God making his will known to us. I think oftentimes we feel like it's so hard to understand what God's will is. And I want you to understand this, that his will for us may remain hidden for a time, but it's only because God is waiting for just the right time to reveal his will to us in order to bring the absolute most glory to himself and the absolute most joy and satisfaction and fulfillment to your life. So in that waiting, where we're waiting for God to reveal his will to us, we're in the midst of some decision-making about our dating life, who we might marry, about our career, or making a big move. And we're trying to discern God's will. I want you to understand this, that God has a perfect timing in revealing his will to you. And that will, and I'm sorry, that timing is rooted in his love for you. He's not going to hold it back one second longer or reveal to you one second sooner than what will optimize the absolute best for you and for his overall purposes. Take heart, just take comfort in that. So what is God's mysterious and hidden will? All right. So what is this will? All right, here you go. You ready? It's this to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And I want to talk about what does he mean by unity and what are the all things. To what extent does God want to fulfill this unity? So unity, when he talks about bringing all things into unity, he's talking about restoring everything into the flow of his perfect and goodwill. Unity is about being restored to the flow of God's perfect and goodwill. So what is this idea of flow? It's a secular word that I'm kind of using and I want to define it. Okay. So here it goes. Flow, the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. You know, you kind of think of when you're in that barrel, you're in such a sweet, exquisite moment, you know, it feels like all time is frozen. You just want to stay there forever. It's when that musician or that artist is in that moment where they're expressing what was in their heart on the canvas or on the instrument in in just the perfect way. It's as he puts it, it's the experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at great cost for the sheer sake of doing it. I just think this is such a great concept because this longing for joy, this is our soul's homing beacon back to God's will. I think every one of us is longing to be in the flow, to be in sync with the way we're meant to be, with who we really are, with one another, with our spouse, with our church, with our bodies, and with our own thoughts. Sometimes it feels like our thoughts are not in the flow, right? Anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts, competing, distracting thoughts, creating havoc in even our own mind. But to be in the flow, to be in sync, Ultimately, what the scriptures reveal, what Paul's going to show us, it's about being in sync with God's will 
for your life. Listen to this. Because God's will is the most loving, wise, and joy-filled outcome in every situation of your life. God's will is the best possible outcome for every area of your life. And when you're connected to his will in every area of your life, it brings you into the flow of God's unity, the unity of all things that he's working towards. The flow of God's will at every second with every ounce of our being is what God created us to live in. Can you imagine that? Always being and living in your exquisite moment. One of my best friends talks about the exquisite moment. For him, it was being in the barrel. You know, he says, you're in the zone. That's what God created us to live in. And it's called eternity. The Bible calls this eternal life. And it's not meant to be just a one-off moment. It's meant to go on and on and on forever. This is eternal living. This is what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, overflowing joy. Now, let's talk about the all things part. So unity, to be in the flow of God's will. That's the unity. When we're in unity with each other, we are in the flow of God's will for each other and in his will for the world around us. Okay, that's the unity part. But what about all things? What's he talking about? Paul's just trying to help us see just the scope of God's plan and purpose. The scope of his will is so much bigger than what your career is going to be, who you're going to marry, who you might date, and where you might go to school. The scope of God's will is ultimately about his purpose to transform the entire world, beginning with the heavens and the earth, all cascading all the way to the way we relate to one another as the people of God, boiling down it to a fine point between you and Jesus. And as we read Ephesians, he's going to talk about the heavenly realms five times throughout the book because the heavenly realms are besieged with spiritual forces of evil that resist God's will. And so to bring unity to everything, that has to be the heavenly realms where you and I are seated with spiritual authority and blessing. But number two, the entire created order, nature itself. We see sickness and death and violence, and God is going to bring unity and to every one of those places so that in all those places, God's peace, his grace, and his love is being worked out. But the best part where it goes, is it goes to the church. He talks about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled or brought into unity in our marriages and to the relationship we have with our kids and with one another. All things right down to you and Jesus. I want to read to you this verse, Ephesians 1, 3, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this is probably one of the greatest mysteries that Paul covers in all six chapters, this idea that you are in Christ. The reunifying, the reunity, the reunion, the making of one between you and Jesus. This is one of the most amazing mysteries that Paul wants to unpack for us because it has implications for what God is doing in the world. Before he wants to get to what it means for us to live a Christian life, He wants to spend three chapters just anchoring you, marinating you, immersing and saturating you with this awareness that you are one with Jesus and what that really means. 
Back in 1987, a woman discovered or went to a flea market. Okay, sorry. She went to a flea market and she bought this junky old costume ring with this diamond, you know. But it was fun and gaudy. She got it. But something began to kind of itch at the back of her mind. And 30 years later, she took this $15 costume jewelry ring to a diamond professional and had it appraised. And they said, this is actually a 26 carat diamond worth $455,000. All this time she was carrying this incredible, rich, super expensive um, possession. And she didn't realize that she had it until she had it appraised. You are one with Jesus and you have that right now as a follower of Jesus but we may not necessarily understand exactly what it's worth. My hope is next week, we're going to come back to that verse and begin to dive into that. What it means that you are in Christ and the blessing, the spiritual blessing that are in the heavenly realms for you and what that means for your marriage and your whole life, what it means for your relationship with your friends, what it means for the world. Ephesians opens up to us, really the, the deepest questions of our life and doesn't just leave us hanging there, but Paul takes us to the source of all of our deepest questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my life about? These aren't things that you get answered for you at college or just reading some random book or through, through a horoscope or whatever ways in which we try to find meaning in our life, depending on where we come from in our spiritual background. These kinds of questions are answered. These kinds of questions are explored through our relationship with Jesus. Coming back to Jesus brings us to the very ground of our being. And that's what Paul wants to do. He wants to bring us back to home base, who we are in Jesus, our identity, our purpose, and how that's so deeply connected with who God is and what he's doing in the world and how you and I are a part of that, how we've been given this just sort of incomprehensible privilege of being a part of what he's doing And so I want to pray for you because the mystery unfolds when you accept Jesus as the leader and the savior of your life. And maybe some of you who are watching this video have never done that. Or maybe you have, but you're watching this realizing, you know, I have wandered away from Jesus. I've lost touch with him. I've just been disconnected from him. And I want to invite you right now just to pause. Let's take a deep breath. And open your heart to his living presence with you right now. And if you have been a follower of Jesus, then he is inside of you. And to be aware of that living, pulsating presence of Jesus in your spirit. But for those of us who've never opened our hearts to Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you'd like to pray, I just want to invite you to close your eyes. Just wherever you're sitting, just close your eyes. Just put your hands out as a, as a symbol of your openness of heart and mind to Jesus at this very moment. 
And repeat these simple words of prayer with me. Jesus, you are at the center of the very purpose and meaning of my life. Knowing you, living with you, uncovers the deepest mysteries of my life and the world around me. I accept the mystery that by your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead, I could be forgiven for all of my sins and restored into right relationship with God. I want to be one with you and I want to be restored to being in the flow with your good and perfect will. Amen. Hey, look, if you prayed that prayer, then I want to encourage you to find one person that you trust and talking to them and just telling them why you prayed that prayer and where you're at with Jesus and what's happening. I also want you to know that we're meeting on campus. We're meeting on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. The 6 p.m. service is beginning this Sunday. So if you want to join us, I'll be there. A bunch of us will be there. We'd love to see you. And if you've prayed this prayer, please come join us. I'd love to meet you personally. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.